My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. In the words of Bob Wiley to Dr. Leo Marvin, and I think without a doubt, one of the greatest movies of all time, What About Bob? Uh, The observation of life is this. There are two kinds of people in the world. If you haven't seen that movie, uh, you can leave now and go to Blockbuster in Bend, Oregon, which is the last one, and rent it uh, or stream it. Who knows? Uh, phenomenal movie, really funny. Well, well the, <laughs> the part of the story here at the beginning is he's explaining why he divorced his wife. And he says to uh, Richard Dreyfus, he says, uh, you know, here's the, here's the deal. There are two kinds of people in the world, those that like Neil Diamond and those that don't, <laughs> which I completely agree with. I did a funeral a number of years ago, and the gentleman loved Neil Diamond, and so I started the funeral with that. Everybody cracked up, and I admitted I don't like Neil Diamond. Never did, to which everybody booed. If you ever get booed at a funeral, you know it's not a good day. Well, I do think there is a question that we could ask or an observation we could make, that there are two kinds of people in the world. And I would see it this way. Those that are pessimists and those that are optimists. A pessimist is somebody who sees the problem in things, in situations. We would call them a person who sees the glass half empty. Uh, Then there's an optimist, and an optimist is someone who sees the positive part of it. They get excited about things, and they see the glass is half full, and they're excited about it. Case in point, last night, George Matthew, I don't know if you know George, uh, one of my Indian friends, for six years we have been praying for a ministry to Indians. George has been so faithful in that. He has uh, welcomed uh, great opportunities to reach out to the Indian culture. Uh, George and I have gone to some of their events. uh, We brought some of their events here. Pastor Francis showed up, and we're planning this Indian ministry. And so there have been groups going on and support and outreach. But finally, Friday night, just a couple days ago, was their first big event. And uh, with excitement, 50 adults and, and 20 children. So 70 people showed up here, which I think is phenomenal, really great. So I greet George and his wife, Stephanie, at the door, and I said, George, you had 70 people there. That's exciting. I give him a hug. He goes, yeah, but James, how many people were not Christians? You see, we need to change this. We need to do this. I said, George, stop. You had 70 people. And I know that about 10 of them were non-Christians, far from God. And he's like, yeah, but James, I go, come on, Stephanie, would you help the guy? Because she's an optimist, so thank God that he married her. Um, but some of you are pessimists, right? You, the first thing you see is the problem. And, and that's not a bad thing necessarily, but please, for the sake of everybody's sanity, surround yourself with optimists. Some of you maybe are too far on the optimist scale. You're pie in the sky. You need some pessimists to bring you back to the ground, right? 
I remember when I was a youth pastor at Sunrise many, many years ago, it was probably 94, 95 when I just showed up at Sunrise, I wanted to preach a vision message about youth ministry. And so I preached a message starting with this question. Do you see young people with a problem mindset or a possibility mindset? Because a lot of churches, at least the ones that I had gone to and been a part of, looked down upon youth and saw them as a problem. And, and you could see that in youth ministry or in any part of life. Or do you see it with the possibility that what could God do? I love to interact with a lot of people, a lot of pastors, and I would say a lot of people in church ministry are, are pessimists. I, I think that's, there's something that goes on with faith because my faith experience, my faith background, when it comes to church experience, growing up exposed to church and then becoming a follower of Jesus in high school, my church saw the world around us with a problem mindset, a pessimistic mindset. In fact, um, it was said and it was, it was lived out that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, so all you can do is grab your kids and hold them safely close to you until Jesus comes back, right? That we wanted to isolate ourselves from everything around us that was wrong so that we could at least survive in the middle of this hurricane of culture, right? Now, we can easily do that as followers of Christ. I, I think we could see that. Some of you are church background people, and you've gone to different churches, and maybe that's your experience. Uh, you, you know, you look at culture around you, and you say, look at all the problems. I mean, you can list them, right? I mean, problems maybe in education, problems in our government and politicians, problems with our financial situations, Wall Street, Main Street. You could look at cultural shifts, and you could see that as, as a negative, you know? Uh, some of the things that go on in our culture around us maybe scare us, and we go, as a follower of Christ, what do we do? And I would say you either see the world with a problem mindset, or you see the world with a potential mindset. You see the culture around you. You see uh, everything going on, good and bad and otherwise, as a, a pessimist, and, and your only response would initially be, let's pull back because we can't change that, or an optimist, and you plug right in, you go, what can we do about that? Now, I would challenge you to move toward an optimist mentality, a potential mindset when it comes to the culture around us. Because if, if we, as a church, become like a lot of churches, many churches, we will just build walls of safety and protection to keep the, the big bad wolf at the door, you know, and outside, and while we stay huddled in around the fireplace. And that's not Jesus' vision of church. Now, when I then became a senior pastor in 98, uh, I went on a conference trip back east, and in the conference, there were a lot of good things talking about the church, but a question came up, and it really, really gripped me. In fact, it bothered me. And it was this question right here. If your church were to disappear from your community, would anyone notice you were gone? And, and more importantly, would anyone care? And I thought about that. If Sunrise Church just were gone, would anybody notice? We had uh, five acres over in a residential area in Jackson School on Rogan Street where we were planted in 1980, highly evangelistic at first, sharing the gospel, kind of over time, you know, this is what we do. The gravitational pull of church is inward, and we, we you know, start focusing on ourselves. We forget there's a world around us with needs. And I, I honestly looked at all the programming, all the events, all the budget, everything we did, and I had to conclude that nobody would notice. In fact, they might be excited because you can build more homes there, right? And the residential value was increasing. But our church was planted with a vision to reach people for Jesus Christ. And somehow we had lost that passion, and we had just built a church for ourselves. And I didn't think anybody would notice, and I didn't think anybody would care. 
And so I began praying and we began talking and as leaders we began discussing this and what would it be like if we actually became a church that made an influence in our city and not, not the best church in the city, I think that's arrogant, but, but a, the best church for the city, you know what I mean? To where we were gonna give our lives away to serve the needs of the culture around us. And I could say now, you know, 20 you know, years later, we're deeply embedded in the culture around us, uh, in, in our schools, in our government, in our Department of Corrections, in the community around us, because you, as followers of Jesus Christ, have had an optimistic mindset. And you've said, I know there are problems, but I'm not just gonna sit at home and complain about them. I'm gonna go dig in and build relationships with people, even those that are far from God, so that we could see God show up in that situation, because the hope of the world, the light of the world, is the message of Jesus Christ. Now, um, I read the Bible every year, and I, I share that, and I would encourage you to read the Bible. Uh, I, I think the Bible is, is uh, the best literature out there. I have a lot of books. I read books. I read a ton of books, okay? But the Bible is the book of all books, and it'll change your life, okay? So I read the Bible every year, start at the beginning, go to the end. And I, it, depending on the translation or the plan I use, uh, along about this time, I'm in the book of Acts. And so I'm now actually in the book of Acts. Just read chapter uh, five and six this morning. And, um, you know, it, it's this journey. I see it every year, see the stories. Well, two years ago, I was in the book of Acts. And I was in chapter 10. So just a couple days from now, basically, on my journey two years ago. And I'm, I'm reading through stories I've read before and I've, I've known them. And, and so there's not a lot of new that I, you know, to see. But all of a sudden, I saw something new. And not just something new, something that, kind of shocked me. It actually rocked me a little bit. And isn't that funny? You can, you can see something you've read a hundred times and all of a sudden see it, you know? And I, I had that experience. And I started dwelling on it, started thinking about it, and all of a sudden, uh, God brought it up in a different way, in a different way. And after he brings things up usually three times, or my wife talks to me three times about things, I listen, okay? You know, because my wife and the Holy Spirit sound incredibly similar. Um, and so, um, you know, I, it's like, okay, God, I got to do something with this. And so we're launching a series called Doing Good. And it all comes from that experience I had two years ago and what God's been doing in our church. Now, I want to read the whole passage. It's a lengthy passage. And I want to just pull back to the one thought, build on that and we'll launch our series. So uh, if you have a Bible, you could, you could turn to Acts chapter 10, uh, but, but you could just read it on the big Bible on the screen. Uh, now, then Peter replied, let me set this up. Peter is an apostle. He was a disciple of Jesus, early follower of Jesus. Ups and downs, struggles, fishermen, followed Jesus, failed, denied Jesus, all that. Jesus restored him, and he began this, to be this great leader in the church, preached this message, 3,000 people came to faith. So he is a Jew, though, and as a Jew, he has very strict requirements, dietary requirements, um, you know, specific day requirements, religious requirements, all these observant things he has to do. And one of them is he cannot interact with foreigners. He cannot spend time with Gentiles because to a Jewish person at that time, a Gentile was a dog, a Gentile was an outcast. Uh, the Pharisees taught, the rabbinical Pharisees taught that God had created Gentiles to fuel the fires of hell. That's an attitude, right? And so, um, you know, God had said, though, through Jesus, that you're going to be my witnesses to the entire world. Well, they hadn't done it yet. And here's the encounter, what actually happens. This is the real big encounter where a Gentile comes to faith in God. This Gentile is a God-fearing Gentile, but he's not just a Gentile to put a bad mark on him. He's a Roman. And he's not just a Roman. He's a, a Roman officer in the army. And he's a centurion, so he's over many, many men. And, and he would easily be seen as the enemy, the worst part of everything that's wrong in our culture, that if we could just get rid of them, everything would be fine. And God shows up to Cornelius, this man, in a vision of an angel, 
because he is praying to God. Imagine a person far from God discovering that he's actually on a journey to God. You might be here and that might be your story. Church is new. It's all a new experience. Maybe you just got dropped in today and you're thinking, I'm far from God. Man, we love you. And more importantly, God loves you. And I believe that it's not an accident that you're here. And so Cornelius is on this journey, and so Peter's on a journey. God shows up to Peter in this vision about a sheet and some food, and, and, and bottom line is God has to change Peter to have a possibility mindset about Gentiles. So now he shows up, and he starts talking to Cornelius. He said, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel. Good news is translated that way, but it's what we would call gospel, uh, but the translators decided to call it good news because that's literally what it meant was good news, a herald explaining good news. And so the gospel is the good news. Here's the gospel, the good news for the people of Israel. And here it is. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. If you've ever wondered what the gospel is, there's peace with God through Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all. That we are at odds, at enmity with God. We, our sin holds us separate from God. Uh, by birth, by our actions, by our neglect, rebellion, we are at odds with God, and we try very hard to fix that or pursue that or whatever, but it's really only through Jesus Christ who can, you know, come between us and pay the price, and that's what Peter's talking about. He says here, you know what happened throughout Judea, that's the countryside around Jerusalem, beginning in Galilee, which is the area in the north where Jesus did the majority of his ministry up at the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, and such. After John began preaching his message of baptism, John was John the Baptist, who was the herald or the messenger, the one who was paving the road for Jesus, who then pointed to Jesus and said, hey, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and then he decreased and Jesus increased. So you know all this, Cornelius. You're not, you're not a foreigner only. You're a foreigner who lives in our land. You know everything, right? You're, you're appraised of this. And here it is. You know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Anointed is the Messiah. The Messiah just means the anointed one, that God chose Jesus, that he's this perfect God-man. And, and you knew this because the Holy Spirit was on him and there was power, there was miracles, there were all these amazing things. You, you know, this has not been done in the corner, basically. He says, then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And then Peter goes on, he says, and we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. That was the religious groups, the, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and Sadducees that were opposed to Jesus because he was a threat. They just said, let's get rid of him, let's just put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to those of us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. See, Jesus had said that. You're going to go out everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. You're going to spread out. You're going to be my witnesses. And a witness is just somebody who's seen something or heard something, who's experienced something. You're just going to tell people everywhere about me, okay? And, and this is what we did. We just started telling everybody. And so thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in Jerusalem and Judea all around in Samaria now, they're hearing about this message of Jesus Christ. This is the good news that's to be preached to every person. He says, we were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Now, that's important because some people were saying, hey, he's just kind of like a ghost, a specter. Maybe it was just a vision or a hallucination. It's like, no, you got to understand. We were in a room. We were having a meal, and Jesus showed up, and he sat down and ate with us, and he drank with us. A ghost doesn't do that, right? Okay, a vision doesn't do that. A hallucination can't do that. In fact, up to 500 people at one time saw him, right? You don't have that kind of hallucination, okay? 
unless you're at a Grateful Dead concert, okay? But the fact is, is that we know this because we experienced it, right? We experienced it. He's given a defense for what he believes. And he says this, and he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. And then he wraps it up with this. He is the one all the prophets testified about. The whole Old Testament, the whole Bible was pointing to Jesus, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Now that, my friends, is the crux of the matter right there. That everyone who believes in him Everyone who believes that this is true, what Peter just said, that you would believe in this and then therefore you would have your sins forgiven through his name. A little later, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning you speak the words, you admit that, agree that Jesus is Lord, he's the ruler, he's the boss of your life, he's sovereign. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and if you believe in your heart, you trust in this, you put your faith in this, If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, this resurrection, you'll be saved. You'll have your sins forgiven. You'll be in a right relationship with God. That's as easy as we can explain it. That's the gospel. Now, the part that jumped out to me was this little phrase, and I want to show you this. Acts 10, 38. And Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, you might want to wonder, why why did that jump out to you? Again, I grew up in a faith tradition that basically said the good that Jesus did was he went to the cross and died. That's it. I grew up in a faith tradition, a church background, that did not talk about Jesus interacting with lost people. In fact, there were times when it was explained that Jesus was not a friend of sinners. Okay? Now, once you became righteous, then you could hang out with Jesus. Once you prayed a prayer or whatever, clean up your life, then Jesus would accept you. Because the way we modeled our lives was that we separated not just from sin, because the Bible says, you know, don't sin as a follower of Christ, be holy. But we separated a second time. And that was this mentality that said, if you are a sinful person, I have to separate from you. Now, the Bible talks about holiness, separating from sin, living a pure life, no question. But the Bible doesn't say, if other people are sinful, separate from them. But that's the only answer we had. It's the only way we could live our lives, we thought, is if we create enough religious rules and one of them being, you separate from anybody that isn't 100% pure, which, which then created the joke amongst the young people is that eventually you're going to separate from your wife, you know what I mean, or your husband, because you're going to suspect everybody, your pastor, you know, no one's as good as you, you're the best person, you know, you're the goodest person on the planet, you know what I mean, because that's what happens in your heart, you think you're superior, you think you're righteous, and you become self-righteous. And we had this mentality that said that when you read the Gospels, Jesus didn't hang out with broken and hurting people. Which I don't know where that came from because I read the Gospels and oh my goodness, what is he doing? He's healing people, he's loving people, he's approaching people, he's reaching out to lepers. Talk about a disease, right? A fearful disease. He's reaching out to prostitutes, he's reaching out to the worst of the worst, the tax collectors. He's, he's just reaching out to what's called sinners which was known as the scum of the earth, garden variety, bad person, okay? The, the pool of people that are just about as bad as they can get, that's who Jesus hung out with. And the religious people, we could say the church people of his day, they didn't like him. They didn't love him. They feared him. They hated him. They took him to a cross to kill him, to eliminate him from the picture because they wanted to be perfectly pure. The Pharisees, the religious people today, they were the people that separated from sin, but then they separated from anybody else that wasn't pure. And they wouldn't hang out with the scum of the earth, 
the least, the last, and the lost, the hurting and the broken and the desperate. And yet Jesus walked the earth and he healed people and he loved people. Now again, I grew up with the faith mentality that said the only good Jesus did was to die on a cross. Now, I, man, I love the fact Jesus died on the cross because that means my sins were forgiven on the cross, your sins as well. And I believe in that, I trust in that, my sins are forgiven because Jesus paid all of them. But is that all he did? No, the Bible says he did so much more. He loved people. He did good things for people. He restored hope for the hopeless. He healed the people who were hurting and broken. He gave life to the lifeless. And Jesus showed up and the world around him was better because of it. Now, people were confused. Sure, when God shows up, it's confusing because it's not natural, it's supernatural. Um, But by and large, people looked around and said, he's gotta be a prophet. He's gotta be a messenger from God because no one else can do the things he did. God has shown up in our midst. God is here because the world is changing. He still hadn't gone to the cross yet. In fact, as he's praying, the night before he goes to the cross, he says, Father, I completed the work you sent me to do. He hasn't even gone to the cross yet. Jesus has gone. He's raised up a team of disciples to make disciples for the future. And he's changed the world around him and gathered a following that would eventually become the church that now 2,000 years later, you and I are part of, that has spread throughout the world. Billions of people believe in this message throughout the ages, right? And so Jesus went around doing good. And now, you know, so I read this, I'm like, what in the world does that mean? So I dig into my Bible, I have a little app on my phone that has, you know, Greek and Hebrew and all kinds of weird stuff. And, um, and so I thought, what does it mean that he, he was doing good? Well, it translates as to do good. Don't you love the dictionary? It's like, wow, thank you, Webster. Um, no, hold on, um, to bestow benefits. Like, okay, wait a minute that people benefited from Jesus' actions. Now, that, that caused me a moment of pause. Does anyone benefit from my life? I'm not just talking about my wife and kids and the fact I have a job and things like that, but does anybody in the community benefit because I'm here? Does anybody show up and go, man, I'm glad James showed up to the table, you know, or, or you? I, I mean, I say it with humility. Is anybody better because of you? And it says here, and speaks of doing what is good and beneficial to someone. Again, it's a repeat. But people are better because Jesus showed up. And he hasn't gone to the cross yet, which is the ultimate good, no question. But practically, he was doing good. And so again, that started me thinking a couple years ago, what good do we do? Are we out there doing good? Or are we becoming a church just for church people? Are we becoming a church where the gravitational pull continues to pull inward and we just withdraw from all the good we do and we kind of just do all the stuff for ourselves? And we isolate ourselves. We separate ourselves from everybody. And and yeah, we love it and we feel like we're doing good to each other and we love our things because they make us feel good. But the world around us, we're not actually impacting. And if we disappear, they will never know or never care, right? Jesus went around doing good. Now, we are in the launch of a series called Doing Good, and a couple things to let you know. We're going to look at the stories of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, the first, the earliest testimony of Jesus, and we're going to look at chapters 1 to chapter 10, and uh, there's a reason, because that's where Mark has Jesus just 
rushing around doing good. He's the servant king. Mark's favorite word is immediately. You're going to wear yourself out when you read the text. Immediately this and immediately this and immediately this. Like, dude, get a day timer. Get an iPhone. Schedule your life, Jesus. It's like, no, he just kept doing good all the time. We're going to look at some examples of what Jesus did as doing good examples. We're going to hear from our own congregation of how they have been on a journey of doing good. And we're going to see in those stories of Jesus how we could practically do good in similar ways. Although, you know, I'm not one to raise the dead, okay, except I get my teenage boys up in the morning and that's close, you know. I'm not one to feed 5,000, but we offer up Meals on Wheels, you know, we do ministry. But practically speaking, we're going to share about how Sunrise Church is doing good. You, Sunrise Church, is doing good. The second part, though, is we're going to give you opportunity to do good. Uh, by connecting in groups, getting in relationship with people, small groups, super group, we're going to do all that, and we're going to have projects. We're going to have doing good projects. Uh, one of the biggest ones is we're, you know, joining the city in Hills Doer Day, which is coming up October 6th. We're going to join the city in a lot of the service projects, okay? And we're going to just let you go do whatever good stuff you can do. Let us know. We'd love to get a photo and, and yay God that and celebrate Sunrise Life as it's going on because that's you doing it. Okay, and we're going to culminate, though, in the last message at Thanksgiving weekend with uh, the, the greatest, I think, thing that could ever be said about Jesus in the doing good mentality, and that is in Mark chapter 10. It says this, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's this great argument about the disciples and who's the greatest, and he goes, you know, I guess don't get it. You're a bunch of knuckleheads, okay? Even I the God of everything, the universe. I came not to be served. I came to serve people and to give my life as a ransom for many. And here's the crux of the matter. I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a both and. Let me explain that. I want to put two words up here on the screen. One is restoration. The other is redemption. The church, obviously, by and large, we focus on the word redemption. Redemption means to buy back, to purchase back. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And we share the message of redemption. The gospel is the message of redemption. And we are all about that. But if we do that in the absence of restoration, I don't think people will listen. Restoration is the doing good today. A a classic way to say it is people will have a hard time knowing and truly believing you want them into heaven if you don't want them in your home, right? If you don't have a relationship with people, why are you telling them a message? You know, just put a billboard up. Just drop a flag at a football game, John 3, 16, you're done, okay? But that's not how Jesus did it. Or you could look at it this way. It's hard to convince someone they need Jesus when their stomach is growling, right? Or it's hard to talk about the love and warmth of Jesus when they're sleeping in a gutter. And so it's not an either or. And and the church has struggled with this for years. Some churches went to what we call social gospel to the point where they don't share anything about Jesus anymore. It's not gospel, it's just social stuff. And it's only restoration, And that's an error, but then other churches, and this is just as much an error, only share the good news as a theological construct and not an actual application for your life. I believe it's both and. I believe, though, as as pastor here throughout the seasons, it's my job to help that scale slide back and forth. And, And I will see this as sometimes, you know, we're a little too much on the restoration side, not enough on sharing about the whole point of restoration is redemption, right? And sometimes, you know, people are only about praying a prayer and receiving Jesus. Like, slow down. Why don't we love people too, okay? Why don't we build a friendship with them, okay? They're not just a notch on your belt, okay? They're a person, a human being. And so we're going to see this. Now, we are in a long line of followers of Christ throughout the 2,000-year history of the church who are just doing what people have done forever. In fact, I just want to share um, really cool stories, and I'm just going to go through these quickly. Um, 
St. Patrick, you know, St. Patrick, little green man, leprechaun. No, actually, he was a missionary to Ireland. We know about St. Patrick. We have a day for him, which totally construes the whole point of Patrick. Okay, but he went there to Christianize Ireland, and he did. But not only did he do that, he fought against slavery in Ireland. He abolished slavery in Ireland. Unbelievable. John Wesley, we know him as this great preacher, open-air preacher. Uh, He not only led revivals, though, and hundreds of thousands of people came to faith. He campaigned for prison and labor reform. John Wesley used his own money to build orphanages and schools. He battled the slave trade. He set up loans for the poor, and he gave all his money away. In fact, this is what he said. He said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, and all the ways you can, and all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you can. There we go, John Wesley. It's redemption and restoration. Or William and Catherine Booth, you know that name? Salvation Army, uh, 1865. This was written about their ministry. Probably during no 100 years in all of history of the world have there been saved so many thieves, gamblers, drunkards, and prostitutes as during the past quarter of a century through the Salvation Army. People were saved, but culture was changed. William Wilberforce, my boys and I, my wife, we've been reading about Wilberforce. Uh, If you don't know anything about him, watch the movie Amazing Grace. Powerful story. He was the driving force to see the abolishment of slavery in the British Empire. When Wilberforce came to faith in Jesus Christ, it was a radical transformation. And he wrote in his diary 20 words that set the rest of the course of his life. And these were the 20 words. He says, God Almighty has set before me two great objects. Two great objects. One, the suppression of the slave trade, which that's what we know him for, if you know anything about him. But this is, this is another one. This is important. The reformation of manners. <laughs> You're thinking, please, thank you. You know, <laughs> open the door for someone. Well, see, that doesn't make sense unless you study the culture of Britain at the time, of the empire at the time, of London at the time. You see, Wilberforce, he actually, beyond a doubt, changed the course of Western civilization by these two great objects. Um, obviously, we know the slave trade ended because of him. Um, but at his day and age, poor children as young as five and six years old, were employed in factories 10 to 12 hours a day. And that was okay. That was normal. That was accepted. He was horrified. And he fought that and changed that. Alcoholism was so rampant that nearly everyone was addicted to alcohol of varying degrees. Sex trafficking of women was so rampant, listen to this, this is unbelievable, that of all the women who were single in London, 25% of them, 25% were prostitutes. And the average age of the prostitute, 16. And that was okay. And that was normal and that was accepted and that's just what it is, right? You can't change that. He did. He changed that. Uh, Extreme animal cruelty, crowds would gather in bars, in barns, in public places and would just be ultimately cruel to animals. And he fought that and he won. Uh, People were put to death for the smallest of offenses and the conditions of prisons were unspeakable. And he fought that and he won. Everywhere William Wilberforce looked in his culture, he saw a world untouched by the good news of Jesus Christ, and he knew that God had called him to do something about it. In fact, if you read his biography by Eric Metaxas, this is, this is in his own words, he wanted to make doing good fashionable. Because it wasn't. One of the stories is men never hung out with their children and wives. They just went to their clubs and their bars and their, their cigar places or whatever. They just did man things, right? And Wilberforce spent days and evenings walking with his children, 
walking and talking with his wife and spending time with his family. And that wasn't done in the culture. And he personally started to change it. Now, I believe there's always a tension between restoration and redemption. And the couple weeks that are following up to Thanksgiving, we're going to see this and we're going to talk about this, even in the life of Jesus. But in order to bring it down uh, kind of to sunrise, I want to share every week a story, some on video, some live. And my friend David Sly, who is here somewhere, he's going to share a story. There's David. Come on up, Dave. Uh, He is a business owner. We've heard David in the past. He has a a business called Idiba, which is based out of the Portland area. And he is someone that I believe is a good example of doing good. So, uh, and Manchester City. Um, So there we go. So uh, kind of bring us up to speed, Dave. Um, You, if you were here, I think a couple years ago, you shared your story, how you grew up homeless in London, sleeping on city buses and, you know, doing whatever you could to get a job. And God, through all these means, has brought you and your family here to Hillsborough. Uh, you've been at Sunrise, how long? Nine. Nine, nine, years. nine years? Yeah. Okay, so, but as a business owner, let's focus on uh, the impact your business is having on serving the least, the last, and the lost and doing good. So, uh, We'll share more about Uganda in, in weeks to come, but let's talk about Hurricane Harvey relief. So what did God do in your heart a year ago, and how have you seen that in the last year? Sure. So um, I was here with my family uh, when um, the Beaumont relief effort was launched by Pastor Kevin. Uh, really wanted to plug into that, but because of the nature of our business and the fact we plan out a lot of long-term projects ahead, we couldn't plug into the sunrise trips. So worked with Pastor Kevin to make the connection with Praise Church in Beaumont, and we actually did our own trip um, as a team. There was seven or eight of us that went on the first trip. Now, let me interrupt. That's a work trip. The Correct. Yeah, we made it a work trip. So this is not a church thing. This is you're an owner of a business, yep. and you get your employees to do this. Are you making yep. them do it? Nope. Okay. Just said, hey, there's family. They need help, and we need to go make a difference and employ some of the skills that you have to help them rebuild both at a physical level with their home, but later we were to learn at an emotional level where we became the motivation for them to want to continue to rebuild and focus on their home because they were afraid of letting us down the next time that we turned up that they hadn't made enough progress. Well, and insurmountable odds against them when everything is gone. So some of the things you did, you can see mucking out homes, doing electrical, what else? So this is uh, Liz and Jesse up here on the top right-hand corner in the blue and the black. Um, The reason we picked Liz and Jesse as the family we wanted to support was, number one, they're the first family in their community to step up and help others. So actually, it was quite hard for them to accept help, kind of that reverse psychology. And the second reason is they were living with their in-laws. And if you knew anything about my own in-laws, it was a logical choice to make. (laughs) And then beyond, um, beyond, sorry, James, you've met my mother-in-law. Um, and, then, and then beyond actually helping the family, one of the things we really wanted to do, and you'll see the photo here, is we went and cooked breakfast along with um, the pastor from uh, Praise Church for all of the emergency services uh, teams. And that was awesome. It was so uplifting, and people got really excited about that. And we were doing God's work, but we didn't position it as good God's work. We just positioned it as doing the right thing and helping others. Well, because you are talking about a group of people that are not followers of Christ necessarily, right? It's Your a employers. 50-50 split. Half okay. are, half are not. Okay. But they get the concept of doing good for others, even those that are not followers. And I would imagine um, emotionally they were probably threatened by going to a church and 
It's Portland, okay, it's Northwest, and doing those kind of things and a little fearful. How did you help them push through that apprehension of, you know, Dave's just going to preach at us? Yeah, we, we didn't make it about the church. We didn't make it about Praise Church. We engaged with Mike. He was part of our dinners. He was part of our work. That's in there in the orange. Um, but we made it about the family, and we made it about thinking about their needs and, and looking after them first and foremost. And so you've uh, done how many trips? So our trip next month will be our third. We have 17 of us going. We're taking uh, quite a lot of the team, a couple of spouses. Uh, We actually have a couple of sunrisers that work with our firm, either as clients or as friends of the company. And we have a group going from across the U.S., East Coast, West Coast, and also Canada. Um, So we'll be plugging in there. And so the, the vision is so infectious that not only your employers who, let's be honest, at some point when your boss tells you something, sometimes you may want to do it because he's the boss or she's the boss, but your clients, the people that you serve, have caught the vision and they're coming along. Yeah, absolutely. Not only are they coming along, but they're actually giving us more work in some instances so that we can continue to do the work that we're doing. We give, the last 12 months, we've given 62.8% of our profits to others. We support 22 projects in North America and Uganda, and that's after we've paid for travel for people to get to Uganda and Beaumont and Uh, also Florida. Okay, so stop for a second. So if anybody's a business owner or manager, you're saying that your business, which is a for-profit business, there's a bottom line, uh, paying employers and making money off stuff, and there's bills. Um, You have a vision to give over half of your money away, all your profits. That's amazing. Yep, absolutely. Okay. It's the right thing to do. Yeah, it's the right thing to do because... That's what God's been doing in your life. That has to be difficult at times. It has to cost you. Again, I'm thinking the skeptical business person out here going, yeah, that's great for Sunrise Church because they're a nonprofit. No, you're just you. You're Sunrise, but this is your business. What are the challenges of of leading in that direction, or what does it cost you? So I I think, you know, anyone that works with corporate America knows it's not easy. We have our good months. We have our not-such-good months. And so for us, there's really a a couple of... um, Really big tipping points. Number one, if we're having a a slower month, the tendency naturally, inherently, is to want to cut back on your giving, but we actually do um, the opposite. We double our giving when we're in times of trouble because if you do the right thing, good things will happen. God's taught us that. And so we had two slow months this summer where we hit our revenue nut, but barely. And so we doubled our giving during those months, and then miraculously in August and September, it's come back with a lot of fruit. Imagine that. And uh, yeah. for those of you that are business owners, you know that really owning a business is a mixture of two emotions. It's excitement and fear. And uh, sometimes the fear can overcome the excitement. So the second part of your question is really when the fear overcomes, there's two things, Psalm 27. Yeah. And um, the second thing is to just focus on more on the giving than worrying about where the next cent and dollar is going to come from. That's awesome. Has maybe there been a story of any of your employees or friends or clients that have gone that are maybe far from God, skeptical of the church thing, and yet somehow you can see they've moved closer because of the doing good? Sure, yeah. We actually have the lady in the green, Barb. She's our um, bookkeeper. Barb is as far from God as anyone can be. Uh, actually pushes back against all things to do with but she's church. a great lady. She's a great friend. I've yeah. got to know her throughout yeah. the years. Um, but what's actually happened in her life is that she's now got into the Beaumont Initiative. She's got into the... Obviously, she's heavily involved in Uganda. And now she's actually supporting us by allowing us as part of her 
uh, fee for services is that she gives some of our fees away to others in terms of chickens and goats and other things to help others. So That's cool. She's, she's still a long way from God. That will never change. It's Barb. But she's now of a mindset where she's behaving, you know, just as, as we would here, which is great. That's right. Well, uh, give him a round of applause because I think that's exciting. Thanks, Greg. And, and I'd, I'd like to close uh, just with a thought and um, taking it from Men's Round at the Men's Retreat that we did last weekend. And uh, by the way, the ladies were awesome last weekend. Thank you, ladies, for leading everything in the service. Um, but the speaker was a great speaker, and there was a workshop my son and I went to, and several of the guys, and he did an exercise, and I want to do it for you, because I, I want us to understand this from a heart level. Um, so I, I need some help. I need someone to explain the gospel to me. Anybody? Good news? Thank you. Okay. Okay. Somebody else? Jesus, yeah. Okay. What else? If you're, you know, explaining the gospel, the crickets are <laughs> chirping. Salvation. Salvation? Okay, let me, let me ask a different question. Um, how has the gospel, the good news, affected you personally? Change. Change? What else? Freedom. Hope? Freedom. Freedom? What else? Purpose? Purpose? Peace. Peace? Anything else? Truth. Truth. Now, can, can I just stop for a second and say... I asked the same question twice because the good news is the gospel. And I think if we're not careful, we will put the gospel in a redemption box that is really hard to communicate. In fact, maybe even impossible to communicate because we don't understand it all. We don't want to get it wrong. We don't have all the verses memorized, and so we'll leave that to the pastors and missionaries, right? But the good news, oh, we could talk about that all day long. Hey, here's how God's changed my life. Here's how I have peace in my relationships. Here's how... That's the gospel. Jesus went around doing good, and it said that his life was the good news. Not just the cross, but the example he set for us. And so as we think about doing good, it is restoration. There's no question. It's practical help, but it's redemption. And, and don't just check out when I say the word redemption, because that's all of our call is to share the message of good news. And if you get caught up in the word gospel, don't use it anymore. Just talk about the good news because that's how Jesus has changed your life. And I think that would actually be attractive to people. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love and your message and what you've done through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. May we come closer to his life and the example that we could see even in our community of loving people in Jesus' name. We pray, amen.